morning, good afternoon, good evening to the Cold Tech Podcast listeners. Really excited for this episode here with Michael from SIEP. He's currently an experienced Chief Executive Officer with a demonstrated history of working in the financial services industry, skilled in banking, asset management, equities, capital markets and trading systems. Michael has been with SIEP for almost 10 years now as the company CEO. Recently, they've announced being named the best third-party technology vendor IT team at the American Financial Technology Awards. Michael, I'm sure you can give a, a little bit better of an introduction than I can. So if you want to sort of kick it off with that. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity to do the podcast. Yeah, I spent the last 20 plus years in the hedge fund industry and the asset management industry, playing various roles as a CTO and doing development, as well as being the COO of a $40 billion asset manager. So know the operational side and the technology side of the business. So 10 years ago or so, I had the opportunity to start CFA overall on it and take all of the knowledge that I had and put it into a software as a service product and launch CFA 10 years ago. Perfect. Good stuff. And obviously, you've been with them for 10 years, you mentioned. How's the journey been for yourself? How did it start? And how are we doing now today? As I mentioned, you've recently been announced to be the best third party technology IT vendor team. So obviously, big congratulations on that. But how's the journey been? The journey's been good. It's taken a while to get to the scale we've at, and we've grown slowly, intentionally over the time. So we take on clients and can service clients well. So it's always a control as you start up a company, not growing too fast and underperforming what you want your clients are expecting, and then really over delivering within the platform. So, I mean, a lot of it's around the innovation and data management space that we're targeting overall as asset managers get bigger and bigger, they take on more and more data needs and consolidating and cleansing that data is usually the hardest part of it, which is what our platform helps do within the asset management industry. Okay, good stuff. And obviously, you've got a great experience within this sort of fintech space. It's a space that's grown so much as we move forward in terms of the tech world or or just assets, everything like that in general. I mean, we've got a big conversation of these cryptocurrencies and the NFTs when we look at the financial stuff. So it's really, really a popular industry and something that I really, really enjoy. Having conversations like this, speaking to individuals of your caliber and understanding your experience and where you are today, really. So looking at the fintech space, I mean, like I said, it's, it's such a prominent industry. It's a massive industry, especially when we look at the US. But for you, what do you think was made the fintech or makes the fintech industry so prominent in our day and age? It's a combination of technology and financial engineering, right, is in essence what fintech is. So there's always innovations going on and it never becomes stale. The banks will always invent different ways to make money or different structured products to buy and sell over time. So as a technologist keeping up with the pace of the things that are being invented to generate alpha or make money in the industry is probably the most appealing thing about the fintech industry because the innovation is constant and never stops overall. So whether it's crypto or hedge funds or the, the types of assets that has hedge funds and asset managers invest in, whether it's CDS or bank debt or swaptions or options, all the different things that people can trade, you always got to keep up with that from a technology perspective in the industry. So there's never a stale moment. You're always learning. So it's a constant learning and constant keeping up with technology simultaneously, which makes the industry exciting, innovative and fun. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned innovation. I mean, what do you think is 
something that makes you innovative in the fintech space? What, what are these sort of trends that we're seeing as we're kicking off this year, maybe whole last year? What do CFA do that makes them innovative? Is there anything on the pipeline or the roadmap for yourself on that side? Back in 2012, when I started the company, uh, after being the CTO at several large hedge funds and managing our own data centers, I grabbed onto the public cloud in, in 2012 and made CFA a 100% public cloud company. That was pretty cutting edge back then. Overall, now everyone wants to go to the public cloud. So public cloud's always out there because people don't want to set up the infrastructure. They don't want to spend the capex and they want to be more nimble. So public cloud's always a trend in the industry. Cybersecurity uh, on the flip side is always there with the work from home environment and those types of things. Uh, cybersecurity is a, a key aspect of it to secure the environment, whether it's public cloud or private cloud, and then controlling the cybersecurity side. And then I think for back to the asset management space, the creativity of managers to create new products and get into new industries, again, creates the data consolidation management and cleansing problem that CFA's very product does very, very well overall. So I think those are the biggest trends. And then really generating alpha from your data is probably the key that CFA does well, whether it's doing portfolio management and portfolio analytics, or whether it's doing compliance on the back end for the back office. A good clean set of data is the key to all that overall within the platform. So I think there's a lot of trends in the industry um, that people are looking at, whether it's SQL or whether it's Snowflake or whether it's Databricks or all these different newer technologies that people are trying to adapt to solve the data management problem. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, in terms of sort of the technology space as well, there's so many new products, new, like you say, new technologies, new tools that really sort of support businesses to, to, to grow on that side. So uh, you mentioned about public cloud and for some of our listeners, I'll just pick something out of that. What is public cloud to CFA? What, what, what is that to your business? Yeah, so really, if you compare the difference between private cloud and in public cloud, right? Private cloud is I own a server, I put it in a data center, and that's a private cloud. I control everything. When you get to public cloud, Amazon Web Services, Azure, Google, right? You're somewhat splitting that responsibility. I rent basically an instance from Amazon Web Services and we share in managing that instance. So the public cloud is I'm using a public cloud provider to provide the service and we partner on it. it the shared security model that public cloud providers have in place is what we do well, right? Whether it's Azure, or AWS, or Amazon Web Services, we partner with our clients to then get them on the platform and again, make sure it's secure overall. There's a misnomer in the industry that public cloud is unsecure. It's actually secure and in my opinion, can be more secure than a private cloud. It's just a question of having the domain knowledge to know how to secure public different public cloud providers to provide the same level of service. When we look at it, our clients don't care if it's private cloud or public cloud. They just want to be more nimble and more cost effective. The public cloud gives <clears throat> us the ability to do that. Perfect. And cloud technologies is is such a popular thing right now. I mean, we're moving very much into the cloud future. Everything's moving onto the cloud, everything like that. Is there a preference on your side with all these cloud technologies when we look at sort of your uh, AWS, GCP as well? That's another one. Is there a right. preference within CFA? We use a hybrid of it. We use predominantly Microsoft Azure and Office 365 along with Amazon Web Services. We are a big believer in hybrid cloud technologies and not putting all your stuff in one cloud. So for all our clients, it's a hybrid, usually two providers. We predominantly use Amazon Web Services and Azure and Microsoft's public cloud. We don't use a lot of GCP or Google Cloud. Perfect, good stuff. And obviously mentioning on sort of cloud being 
becoming so popular and obviously looking like it's going to be the future is there any other sort of solutions or products that are coming up now within the market that are of interest to cfa a lot of the things in the cybersecurity space right cloud hosted cybersecurity where it's security incident management system is a good example of an area that we're uh, microsoft has a product called sentinel that's in that space overall or you look at somewhat the zero trust environment something like a zscale or something like that that's out there as well that enables people to be distributed in our new work from home environment or hybrid work environments the cloud providers help and there's a lot of cloud offerings that help do that type of thing in the environment so the little things like that and then there's data storage whether it's Redis and Dynamo and all the different hosted databases that are out there either by Amazon Web Services or with Microsoft, people are tapping their toes into that as well and trying to figure out how to best utilize that technology in their firm. Definitely. Good stuff. But in terms of sort of fintech as an industry, I mean, it's such a popular industry as a business and in terms of sort of your core models or what you do to attract your consumers, your your employees. What do you think it takes for a business of your caliber like CFA to have those sort of aspects uh, in now today's day and age? It's a little bit of the opportunity to work on new cool things in the fintech space on the financial engineering side, whether it's a new structure or whether it's a new fund or you're automating something that is very, very manual right now. I think those are the types of things that are there opportunities from the business value side, but then how do you take the coolest new technology and match it up against that, right? When we get to it, that our clients don't care whether we use Azure, Google, or AWS, or what underlying technology, we're trying to solve a business problem. So we always focus, let's solve the business problem first and then use the appropriate technology to do that. And I think that gives us the ability to, one, be nimble with our clients and attract more clients if they want to go a different route. And then two, from an employee perspective, you get to see a lot of different things across a lot of different asset managers in our industry working at CFA. And I think that's one of the attracting things of working at CFA. Wicked, definitely. And also in terms of the tech stack that you use as a business on your engineering side, what would that be? So a lot of it's on the, on the front end is Angular and JavaScript, and we use predominantly C-sharp. And then on the back end, we do use SQL Server on the back end. We have mixes of using Redis and NoSQL databases as well on the back end. Cool, good stuff. Another question, this is just a curiosity question. I mean, for example, mobile. I mean, I've, I saw a figure before about the percentage of the world's population that has a smartphone. It was around about 83%. Is that something that CFA are utilizing in terms of sort of mobile app development space? Or is that something that you've not thought about? <laughs> We're not doing specifically anything on a mobile app. All our system can be viewed on a mobile device, whether it's an iPad or an iPhone. A lot of it comes down to in the, in the hedge fund space, traders like to have a lot of information on screens. Yeah. So it's really distilling it down. So I think that's where the mobile development side and then security around that, right? Having a mobile phone with all my positions on it is a security risk, right? Yeah. So what controls do our clients want to put in place become more the hurdle than the having an application or having the uh, data on your device? And being able to view it and interact with it so Perfect. that's not usually the problem the technology is not the problem it's usually the security around that again having all your positions on your mobile phone could be a security risk with as often as people lose phones nowadays yeah definitely i mean banking fintech security is one of the big sort of keywords that that you need to sort of obviously consider completely understandable cool let's sort of 
rewind time. Let's go back to 2012, where you first was uh, you started Siepe. How was that for you? How was that that beginning as a sort of startup company? How did you take that? Was it something that you had experienced before with a recent business that you was with in terms of that environment? How was that whole beginning of Siepe? I should say. Technically, CFA is the fourth company I've helped found and start. So I'd been through it before. I mean, I think startup side is always, it's not about the technology. It's about the business problem you're trying to solve. And I think that becomes the key to it overall. So in 2012, when I started CFA, I had built similar things across three very diverse hedge funds. And so there was an opportunity to take that knowledge and build a product around it and start CFA. So I had a good framework in place to do that in attracting the initial personnel. We lifted our, when I started CFA, we lifted out of an existing hedge fund and I bought the IP from an existing hedge fund. So it's a little non-traditional startup model where I had revenue day one, I had five employees day one, and we already had a client. So it, it made it a little bit easier from a startup perspective, but that allowed us to slowly grow over time, but not experience a lot of the initial startup constraints that people have. Getting the first client's always the hardest part, right? Even if you have a client and you start with one client, getting the second client's the hardest, the third client and the fourth client. So I think as a startup, that's the struggle, right? How do you convince someone to take a risk on you? And then two, how do you deliver and over-deliver such that you get a happy client so then you can expand from there? And I think that's a lot of the biggest struggle that a lot of people don't really realize about startups. It's about getting the client and acquiring the client, not the technology you use, whether it's Google Cloud or Amazon Web Services or Azure or C Sharp or Python or whatever language you're using. Nobody cares, right? Yeah, Solve yeah. the business problem, right? And I think the industry is kind of changing. Startup industry is changing that way. You don't go build a product that you think the market wants product-led development, right? And product-led development is a new buzzword in the industry, but it's the way everything should be done. Let the product lead development, right? Definitely. Yeah, 100%. Cool. No, really good stuff. That was great, great little explanation there. So in terms of sort of, I mean, there's always like an origin story when an individual starts up a business. What was it that sort of the thought process or the little flick of the switch in your head that thought, okay, I'm going to start CFA. This is going to be my future. What, what was that origin story for yourself? The experience I had working in the hedge fund industry for, I don't know, 10 or 15 years prior to starting CFA was all around the business problem that hedge funds had, right? Which was data consolidation, cleansing, and, and deriving value out of your data. And when I looked at it, I saw consistent patterns, regardless if it was a long, short equity manager, whether it was a fixed income asset manager, whether it was a multi-strat hedge fund, the problem that we were trying to solve and the patterns and technology that we put in place were the same across all of them, but it wasn't scalable for every hedge fund to go hire a tech stack and build their own tech stack. Back in the early 2000s, we could do that, right? In 2010, 12, it didn't make sense for hedge funds and they couldn't afford to hire all these developers to go do it. And that was really the spark that came up, which is I built this three, three times over and over again, and there's very similar concepts across all of them, and they're all trying to solve the same business problem. Let me go solve the business problem, and then I cannot just do it for one hedge fund, but I can do it for many hedge funds or many asset managers. In terms of sort of scaling and sort of growing a business, what do you think is sort of the important things to remember, whether that's the people that you're hiring or sort of the, the areas that you're hiring them in? Yeah, really, it's, I think, twofold, right? It's always culture, right? How do you build a culture that you can help scale and expand rapidly? I think that's key. I think one of the things I would change if I did it over again is really you look back at it and say, 
when you're nimble in a startup, everyone just figures it out and does it. But building a repeatable pattern in a process is important, right? Whether so, you start that with day one or whether or not you start it when you're 30 or 60 employees. I think the hardest tilt is when you go from 30 to 60 employees, which we did last year, wow. is how do you add 30 employees to your organization and everyone knows what the process is? Defining that process and having a repeatable process is, I think, one of the most important aspects. It has nothing to do with technology. It has nothing to do with clients. It has nothing to do with revenue. Building a repeatable process is the most important part to scaling the startup. Definitely. And, and for this year as well, 2022, what's this roadmap, the scalability looking for yourself now? Yeah, so I mean, uh, we're at 60 employees, so we may get to 75, 80 employees this year and continuing to scale out our client base is the most important part. On the roadmap perspective, we'll continue to develop in the areas that we've developed on the data management side key. We're in the midst of rolling out two new products to the street. Oh, um, nice. It will be announced later this year, or mid, mid this year. Exciting, exciting stuff. And in terms of the split as a business, when we look at sort of the engineers or sort of the business development team, what is that split within CFA? It's really almost, I would say, the client support team is I invest heavily in. So they're around 30 or 40% of the company and the developers are around 30 or 40% of the company overall. And then the sales and development and management's about the other remainder of it, right? Piece of it in the 20 to 30% range. So Overall, I think that's the way the company split. But being a CTO of a large hedge fund, a technologist first, right? We'll always have a large number of developers on the technology side. And then again, client support's important. It's not just the product, it's teaching people about the product, getting people to use the product, answering questions about the product. So the client service aspect is also a very important aspect of it, not just the technology and development. Wicked, good stuff. We're rewinding a little bit again because you mentioned at the beginning you had uh, some yeah. experience with some four different startup, well, four startup businesses, similar environments. What do you think were the key things that you learned from these three companies before that sort of resonated in your head when sort of from the beginning to where we are now with CFA? I think it's uh, the previous one that we started was a very similar concept to Yelp, but this was back in '97 and '98. And the hard part that we had about it, we had the concept and we had the product. It was just, we didn't have the opinions and the easy ability for people on the mobile device to leave feedback about a business, right? And if you look at it, we had the product, but we didn't think through the whole thing. Like, how are we gonna entice people to make comments about it, right? If I have to go home on my computer and do it versus just quick, real quickly on my mobile phone when I'm in the minute or in the emotion of yeah. what the feeling was I had about that business then it's a little bit different. So I think that comes back to one of the big learning lessons I had, which is solve the problem and don't worry about the technology. In that case, we did more of the product first than figuring out the pieces of how the product was going to work within the environment. So how are yeah. we going to get feedback and comments somewhere to Yelp on a business, right? And I don't think that we look back at it and I don't think we thought through that piece on the customer acquisition side of the comments. Okay, wicked, good stuff. You've worked CTO, you've worked CEO, you've worked all these C-suite types of positions, and I'm sure you've had your mentors, you've had your people that you've learned a lot from. What would you say is the best advice that you've received in your career that's molded you into the CEO that you are today? I think it really it's twofold, right? What motivates people, right? And I think if you look at what motivates people, you set out a vision and then the motivation piece is what helps them execute on that vision. And I think that's the two. So from a mentoring perspective, understanding kind of what a person's strengths and weaknesses are, and then learning what they're good at overall and leveraging that skill set. 
is I think the most important part. A CEO is, I, I tell people all the time, it's like putting together a football team. You have your players and they're good at it. So who do you put yeah. in that slot? And that's their role and defining their role are the, are the key aspects of scaling it. And the, the mentors that I've had have taught me a lot about that historically within the environment. How important is it to have mentors when when you have the career like you do? I mean, this is more of something for our listeners, people that are thinking about starting their own business, having their startup. What is so important about having a mentor and actually listening to the advice that they give you? A lot of people think that the mentors aren't willing to give the feedback. I mean, I always tell people, if you're going to go into a new industry and create a new product as a startup, go talk to the CEOs of the companies that you would sell into that are retired. Right. And they'll tell you what the pain points are and how to sell. And they could be the mentors to learn the industry and know the industry. So overall, getting just how the industry works, every industry works a little bit different. There's politics in every industry and how things work in industry. So understanding the industry that you're trying to solve the problem for is probably the most important part. And go get CEOs or C-level executives that you could reach out that would help you go after that space and understand it are the best because the domain knowledge becomes very important during that time of the startup, right? And the relationships that are your potential customers and how you get through the sales cycle is the most important part. Definitely. Good stuff. And I mean, it's so important to just ask questions. I mean, people are, do get afraid to ask questions because they fear of rejection, but I mean, the worst you can hear is a no. So it's so important just to ask for advice and obviously that's to our listeners, but good stuff. So let's imagine that sitting here is 2012, Michael, and you're obviously 2022, Michael there. What would you say to yourself if you was speaking to yourself, beginning of CFA, what advice would you give yourself? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I mentioned it briefly a little bit before, but it's really focused on process. Build a repeatable process that everyone understands, no matter if you're 10 people, this is the process on how we're going to handle this, right? Then when you get to 30 people, the 10 people know the process, they can teach the other 20 people that you just added. And then when you go from 30 to 60 people, all the 30 people know exactly what the process is, they can teach the other 30 people the process. And then you reduce a lot of the inefficiencies in scaling an organization. Whereas if people are trying to figure it out on the fly, they're going to come up with different ways to do things. But the consistency in the process is the most important part. A repeatable, build a repeatable process. Everyone's seen from the same hymn sheet, almost sort of thing. Yeah. And I mean, terminology is the other one that is a problem in our industry, whether it's a security or an instrument or those type things, a tradable security. It's like, what do we call that thing? So if I hire someone from one hedge fund and hire someone from another hedge fund, they'll use the same word and it means two totally different things. So that comes back to building a repeatable process. This is what our definition is of an instrument, and this is what it means, and this is how it's used in our system. And the taxonomy issues that you run into, whether when you're dealing with clients or not, there's not a lot of ambiguity and inefficiencies in trying to figure out what someone's asking for. Yeah, wicked. Good stuff. Well, look, Mark, I mean, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to yourself. I mean, 2022 is obviously going to be a really, really exciting year for CFA. You mentioned there's two products that you're going to be releasing. When would that be? Are you allowed to tell us what sort of time frame we're looking at? It's probably Q mid to uh, late Q2. Q2, so, yeah, in Q2 timeframe. So we'll all be keeping our eyes out for that. And I mean, do you have anything that you want to say to our listeners in terms of what to expect from yourself and CFA, anything like that? Be safe, be healthy, follow your passion. It's not work if it's a passion. So find your passion and, and follow it. So. I love that. Brilliant, brilliant. Brilliant. Well, look, Michael, really do appreciate it. It's been an absolute, absolute pleasure having you on board for this one. Listeners, hope you enjoyed it. Please leave uh, a comment below. Let us know what you thought. And yeah, again, keep an eye out for Michael and CFA. It's going to be a really exciting year. Thank you, everyone. Thank you very much for the opportunity. No problem. I appreciate it.